o'clock on a Monday. Oh, it's hot, like Richard said. We're casting the hoop wide today and uh, following along the golden thread on This Week in Moab. I'm your host, Christy Williams-Thunton, and today talking about the creative and procreative process. Today we speak with author, co-creator, Deanna King, who has just written a book about the creative process called Bringing Ceremony Home. We'll also speak with the new CEO of Planned Parenthood, and believe it or not, we will cast the hoop so wide that we will bring in Ukraine and opera and vocal power. Okay, but we're starting with Deanna King. I'm wishing you a happy Monday. Ah, today we reached a high, <clears throat> some would say, Noah would say, in Moab of a 111 degrees. I hope that you are loving at least hearing about the stinking desert because that's what it is today. How do we create right from the lava of being right here on the Colorado Plateau? Well, here's our interview, starting with Deanna King. We're speaking today with Deanna King, who has recently published a book called Bringing Ceremony Home. She's a spiritual DIYer with a lot of history and uh, in Moab. Deanna is uh, a mom, a, a former Castle Valley resident and businesswoman. Uh, she has, how do you want to talk about Red Moon Lodge? I like to explain myself as uh, the co-creator of Red Moon Lodge, the holder of the vision. And, uh, you know, I lived there for eight years, so it was a significant chunk of my life. And it's actually the beginning of the book ceremony, bringing ceremony home, because that's where I use the sacred circle. So there's a story about how you got to Moab, how you lived in Castle Valley as an owner builder, uh, had your children there, raised your children there, and then moved into Moab to create a very ceremonial space called Red Moon Lodge. And, uh, and we welcome you to the KZMU Airwaves today. Thanks so much for talking to us today, Deanna. Thank you, Christy. You're so welcome. I'm pleased. Me too. Me too. So Red Moon Lodge has uh, a history unto its own. Uh, talk a little bit about where that was and how it kind of cultivated you as an author. Ah, uh, interesting. Well, Red Moon Lodge came into my life when I had finally decided to take my hobby to the level of career. And I got side-winded, uh, dis distracted by um, a new relationship and an ability someone offered me in this relationship to create a dream that I had always had. And um, strangely enough, it turns out that 
we sort of believe what we want to hear and or we hear what we want to believe right the other way around maybe it's both ways but um it was another journey for me i've had a lot of journeys with relationships that um require a lot of figuring out and this was yet again a beautiful karmic relationship um a beginning and an ending of something that didn't get done before and so during that process of creating an amazing space that was a retreat style bed and breakfast and impacted a lot of people's lives who came through that place um it really opened me up into the the heart space in me because i was working very intensely with the land i was cultivating making rooms amazingly beautiful and I felt like I was creating a, a sleeping space for the Dalai Lama every day. Like that was the energy that was really being imbued there. So it kind of really opened up this reverence for me of like, what is my service? And um, gave me an outlet for a type of service. Um, the, the land itself is pretty amazing. If anyone knows Redmond Lodge, I mean, it's six acres with a spring, um, animals, uh, pasture, lots of flowers, trees, the old, big, beautiful 150-year-old cottonwood trees, just a really pristine spot in Moab. And not only a beautiful space for travelers, but a sacred space for the people of the community as well, as we hosted quite a few different events there. Um, but it was probably my first step into being public um, because it really did require me to engage with the tourists um, uh, using my technology savvy I was creating the website I was doing the social media I was marketing um, but I had to be wear many many hats but move into a more public place than I'd ever been in my life and so I guess it sort of turned on that switch for me about um, how much fun it is to talk to people, especially about sacred subjects, because I love that. Um, and to commune with people who have similar interests. That was super, super fun for me, to meet all these people who are drawn to this particular bed and breakfast demographic because of what we had created, and um, be able to move into these conversations that were instantly deep and profound. So that was super exciting for me. Um, and we did have a medicine wheel or a sacred circle on the property. So a lot of prayer time happened there. A lot of uh, Qigong happened there. Um, we had several people who came and lived on the property that utilized the space for different events, Celtic events. We had a sweat lodge. I mean, it really blossomed into a beautiful um I guess, expression of spirituality, like an authentic expression that didn't follow any particular model, but had a foundation from uh, ancient wisdom models. And so, uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. It sounds like indeed it did cultivate in you just learning by doing uh, mm -hmm. with a combination of practices and modalities that uh, having to be public facing really brought out in you. Uh, you say in your uh, bio that you've been guiding others for over 25 years and using ceremony to facilitate change is just one practice. Uh, 
that people can use in a self-empowerment journey. And in your book, Bringing Ceremony Home, uh, I think what I'd like to do is ask you to speak a little bit about uh, the easy access to creating a sacred space and how it works, how it works for people. How it works. This, of course, is one way how it can work. Um, But if anybody is sort of needing uh, a foundation to just start, my goal ultimately was to make this as easy as possible. Like there's no complication whatsoever when you're communing with spirit and there's no rules. It's really about getting in touch with your heart. So this just starts a little tiny foundation where you physically get to create the, the sacred circle structure. And in, in that physical creation, you're, you know, you're getting your hands involved, your, your inner heart that wants to put this stone here or this stick here or this, whatever it is you're using to create and imbue your circle. Um, really is kind of an artist palette in a sense so it kind of stimulates that inner feminine to to create this very nurturing self-expressed sacred circle and your intention is that once you step into this place you're going to call in um your own helpers uh and spirit and there's some guidance in the book um so it's really i wanted it to be so simple that anyone anyone could really step in to do this and then as you become familiar you can morph it into what might work better for you Uh, add take away whatever your heart says to do Um, and to give you permission basically to become your own creator your own uh, ceremonial creator and um I know that for me, I mean, I just really enjoy having the basic instructions. And then from there, it's like, oh, okay, I get, I get how they're doing this. And, uh, and to open the door, you know, to, uh, for the rest of us to just go, yeah, now I remember how this works because we've been doing it, you know, for eons, it's in our DNA, um, calling in the elements and, and the animal totems and, um, you know, Moab is such a beautiful, amazing place. I love doing ceremony outside. Personally, that's my favorite. But it's written so that you can also do it inside if you don't have an outdoor space um, or and or if it's winter. Um, so it's a really easy way. There's no excuse, really, to not be at least trying ceremony um, or ritual, however, whichever word you want to use to call it. Um and for those who are just tuning into this, let's uh, do them a solid and say, why would you bother? Why would you bother? Well, you know, for me, um, I always feel really good. Like it's sort of like getting uh, an energetic massage when you go to a practice where there's um common intent now granted you don't have to do ceremony in a group but it's really powerful with the group you know um but there's the socialization that happens even if you're just socializing with spirit it's like this amazing um familiarity where you're creating this relationship and and when you're creating a relationship with spirit you realize you are never ever alone like they are always with you in the car in the line at the store uh, you know, no matter where you are, you can call on your team and say, X, Y, Z, I need this, you know, whatever it is. Um, 
or even gratitude. Thank you for being here with me and, and uh, showing me this thing, you know, so you can use them in every aspect of your life. And of course, if you have children, oh my God, there's so many times we need support, we need um, faith, we need prayer, maybe if they're sick or, uh, you know, helping ourselves adjust. I think raising children can be very challenging, one of the hardest things we do in life. And um, and children are natural at this. They love doing ceremony. Um, I personally did it to get over my own interior wounds because uh, I was very aware of the baggage, I guess, that I had uh, accumulated and acquired not only from my family but just in my own experiences in my life. And my goal, my personal goal, was to overcome and to feel more worthy and more whole. Um, and so I was always striving for inner growth. So obviously inner growth is a, is a huge piece of this. You can use a ceremony for a way of manifesting. If you want to uh, imbue a blessing, you know, please help me with X, Y, Z. It could be money. It could be home. It could be for your kids. It could be for someone that's sick. Um, so it offers you an opportunity to create in your life beyond the just go to work and earn money phase. Um, and so so again you have you have personal gain, you have assistance for your loved ones, you have socializing, you have a connection with spirit. Um, there's probably far more <laughs> reasons that to me just seem like a no-brainer, but um, how often do we slow down? you know, slow down and just really do something reverent that's not church, that doesn't have rules necessarily, that um, gives us spiritual freedom. Well, it's an interesting time uh, to be alive, period, I would say. Um, And what, what we know now is that not just across the world, but particularly in the West, there is what's being called the Great de churching uh, <laughs> there is a great rise in the numbers of persons who do not associate with a particular denomination of uh, religion, but uh, do self-identify as spiritual. And in your book, at the advanced copy, you've been kind enough to send me of bringing ceremony home, there is a little intro that you say most people, whether they're spiritual or not, remain stuck in the lot dealt to them and wind up wishing for something different to show up. And so what I'm hearing you say is that this can really amplify uh, the longing to bring about change. And this is how it works that ceremony and ritual can amplify your heart's desire. Do I have that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I feel like, um, you know, there's so many practices now that we can do to be a, uh, an authority of our own creation. And I use those words in the sense that rather than allowing life to happen to you, you choose how you want life to be and you take that action. Now, sure, there is a, a, some part of it, we are passive and we do re- just receive into our lives. But rather than choosing to be a victim that, oh, I just have to take whatever comes at me or why did this happen? 
um, for me, ceremony is self-empowering because I get to choose what am I asking for and and do I actually, am I, I'm also asking for assistance for this. And it's not about asking for things. It's about asking for, uh, even if you're asking for money, you're ultimately asking for safety. You're asking for uh, providence, uh, relaxation. You know, you can relax when all of your needs are met. So um, to me, it's a self-empowerment tool, absolutely. And again, interesting in the context of our times, because what we have is a word called uh, decolonization. We have a word called appropriation. And you are uh, taking from several different traditions, and unapologetically so. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you've been pulling from ancient life ways and some of these ceremonies that uh, some would say belong to a particular uh, tradition. Well, I was very careful, um, I believe, in that book to to not call this. Um, it's modeled after the Native American circle, which they call a medicine wheel. Um, but, you know, the sacred circle is a divine uh, symbol that has been used for eons in many, many cultures. And so even though I personally was using a medicine wheel at Red Moon Lodge or something that was very, very close to a medicine wheel, we became to realize that that was actually probably the symbol that had to come to us to even, you know, maybe spirit said, well, if we give it to them this way, they'll build this structure and and they'll go from there. And so um, the medicine wheel was the, the term and the uh, description of the thing that we needed to remember, the the sacred circle, remembering the sacred circle. You know, any time that people gather and they hold hands in a circle, that's a sacred circle. So um, it's not about getting stuck on, are we, are we um, stealing a tradition? No, I think, I think we're remembering traditions because we've all, in my opinion anyway, because I do believe in past lives, that we have remembering of of some of these traditions in history. Um, the circle is used all over the globe, the sacred circle. So, and it's used a lot in religions too. I mean, it has um, an, an ancient wisdom. So it's really about asking yourself, am I just trying to model something because they have a reputation, they have uh, a history, or is it because I just want to start somewhere. Use use this as a starting point. Thank you. You know, uh, a lot of spiritual traditions, both in what we would call perhaps the New Age and in the uh, Ancient Ancient Age, uh, talk about a container. Uh, in therapeutic circles, <laughs> we call it a safe space. So... Yeah. Um, here we have in the listening audience uh, those who may or may not uh, associate or, <laughs> shall we say, vibe with the idea of the sacred. There are words that trigger. Um, it seems like in your book you're trying to uh, strip away some of 
the, uh, I guess, to, some of the layers around ritual and uh, empower people, regardless of their walk, to be able to tap into this and create a sacred space. I'm wondering... Yeah, um, go ahead. Uh, well, because it is sort of a, uh, well, public public space, and we don't know where the listener might be with their own particular journey. I'm wondering if you could cast a wide hoop with all of us now and uh, perhaps do a little bit of a radio ritual with me where <laughs> we can invoke uh, some good things for any of the people that might be listening to just try right now a quickie, DIY, big circle, uh, Invoking good things. Talk us through. Talk us through a a little radio ritual, will you? <laughs> a little radio ritual. Well, you said cast a broad hoop, which is beautiful because in in our mind's eye we do see the hoop and it's a circle. Um, yeah, I I do see it actually as a hoop. Only maybe it's got spokes, kind of like uh, a bike wheel. Um, because our hearts are in the center and then we broadcast out the spokes to not only our loved ones but there are extended spokes out to every human heart um, which as we become more aware of our energy bodies or aware of um, our connection we, we might uh, be more conscious of those connections to the outer world the outer people in our lives you know we're coming into this place where we keep hearing we're all one we're all one and that really used to confuse me um i don't always feel as one but my mind understands that i am one and i'm moving towards this place of feeling in my heart that i am one and by visualizing the circle by visualizing the spokes by visualizing us all holding hands energetically uh, and that then at that point we are one when I'm doing sacred circle practices I'm calling everyone in intentionally with me um, because it makes me feel like I'm really sharing with my family and uh, I guess I ask for that for everyone else. If you have a really great imagination, use your mind's eye. And hopefully you've just seen this being woven as I've spoken. As Christy speaks, she's an amazing storyteller as well. Um, that we are all in this web together. And to me, um, bringing in Mother Earth, I absolutely am in love. Like I have a uh, lover relationship with Mother Earth now as I have touched her so much uh, in the past 10 years by creating amazing gardens and um, and having her respond to my touch. So to me, when I do circle as well, this is uh, an opportunity for me to cultivate that beautiful relationship with that Divine Mother Um so yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not in the the frame of mind to be saying a prayer at this time. But I kind of feel like you know everybody is at this place where they can 
let that inner permission come forward. Like just give yourself permission to do what feels good from your heart. And this is just a starting point. Start with the circle. Thank you. That's uh, that's quite good enough. And it reminds me of the uh, kind of mindset, heart set I enter into the studio with. So uh, thank you for walking us through how easy it is to just increase awareness just with your intention and your mind's eye. I'm here for full disclosure. Uh, we'll want to say that Deanna and I have been students together in uh, deepening awareness through meditation at the uh, Southwest School for Spiritual Studies. And so uh, we do go back with experimenting the many ways we can increase our awareness. Um, so I appreciate the, uh, the effort just to hop in as an example about how easy it is to just say, okay, I'm going to intend and uh, cast the hoop of my heart wide. So, Deanna King, uh, who has written the book, Bringing Ceremony Home, um, what else do you want to say about this volume and about the experience of writing it? Uh, well, in all disclosure, the, the interesting thing was a year ago when I was Realizing, I've been studying astrology for quite a few years and understanding my um, particular gifts and talents and soul's uh, choices in this life, that writing was supposed to be a big piece of it. I wanted everybody to feel like they could just go have a barbecue and do a ceremony at the same time, you know, like a fun uh, recreational kind of thing. Everyday's lives, not something that you plan months and months in advance and go do. We've, we've kind of got a lot of, uh, I think, seriousness around spiritual topics so I kind of wanted to make it fun and um, and then so I wrote this book and I was naive as all get out thinking you know all you have to do is write a book you put it out there you get passive income well hello no that's not how it works and so uh, I ended up paying someone even though I self-published I did pay someone to mentor me and it wouldn't be even in the beautiful format that you saw if I had not hired that person uh, because she's a, th there's so much work involved in a book really um, I haven't been a big presence here I kind of hid away a lot during the years that I was here but Moab means a lot to me it always will um, I feel really grounded and instantly my heart goes to bliss when I just see the beautiful colors here um Every time it it's it feels like coming home. Yeah, I really love Moab. Thank, and I'm grateful for all the Moab people that that are who they are because they're who really make Moab Moab. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. special. Thank you so much, Deanna King, and uh, mm. best best of everything to you. You too. Thank you, darling, Christy. 5.30 p.m. You're listening to This Week in Moab. If you're anywhere in the Moab Valley, then perhaps you have catched a scent of the thing that we have dreaded 
which is there is a fire happening south on Highway 191. It appears that the ever-ready Moab Fire Department is on the task. KZMU will give you the information as it comes in. You might try to do the fire department and yourself a solid by avoiding the south part of town or maybe even just pulling over and knowing that things are going to be okay. We will let you know as we can. Thank you to Deanna King. You can find out more at 5D uh, Fun. It's 531 and you're listening to This Week in Moab, which tonight the theme is all about the creative and co-creative process. In the creative and co-creative process, we find that there's a lot of making way of uh, letting go that which isn't needed anymore. If you ask me, okay, it's not an op-ed show. We don't necessarily need war. We don't necessarily need pain. Uh, We do, however, somehow need art and beauty and music. And it is with that in mind that we turn to our next guest here at This Week in Moab. And Andy Peters, thank you so much for coming today. Hi. Hi. Is this a good distance? This is a good distance. From right there, okay. From right there, okay. Okay. Hi. For those who may not know about Andy Peters, we're talking about somebody who is gifted vocally and somehow wound up in Moab anyway, who could have made it big with uh, orchestras and arias, and and yet you decided Moab. In fact, what you decided is what needs to happen today in 2023, in the summer of 2023 is to give sort of co-creative safe space to anyone who is suffering in Ukraine. Andy, thanks for coming up to This Week in Moab today. It's good to see you again. Give people a little flavor about what you're up here for. Why are you here today? Well, we're having a benefit on August 5th at the high school at 7 o'clock. And uh, Marilee has given us... Marilee Francis. Yes, has given us the auditorium. There won't be a fee charged, donations only. So it's totally charitable. It's going toward something called Lifting Hands. And that was an organization, Nikki Hazlett, Worldwide Raft Expeditions, has a friend, Erica Glenn, who at this moment is in Ukraine and was at BYU-Hawaii for the last couple of months, and then before that, she was in Ukraine, so helping out. And so uh, we got a hold of Erica. I had four pages of printed document, and I kept calling and trying to figure out who wants some money. It's not going to be thousands, but who wants some money? So uh, I couldn't find anybody. I just kept calling. They didn't call me back. And finally, just Nikki mentioned Erica, and we got a hold of Erica. And so now we have somebody that will get the full amount of whatever we bring in. So that's 7 o'clock on, that's a Saturday, on August 5th. And the high school, uh, as I understand it, uh, Gail Wakefield 
They're going to perform a little number from, I believe, the musical that they're going to do this year. And then Bonnie Nielsen, I think a lot of you probably know Bonnie, will be performing. She's coming up from Cedar City, and her son Russell, who is entering college and already has four CDs out, will be performing, and I will be performing. Can you tell us what number you'll be performing? Well, everything from Bread, Johnny Mathis, to Grand Opera. That's what I'm performing. Bread as in, and Aubrey was her name. If a picture paints a thousand words, then why can't I paint you? The words could never show the you I've come to know. So that's Bread, if I really like that song. Yeah. And then I'm going to combine that because he's painting. And then in Tosca, Cavaradossi is a painter. And I'm going to do uh, a Lucevan Listelli. He's been captured by Napoleon's uh, secret police, and he's going to be executed at dawn. So <laughs> we've got kind of two painter songs. Those are the two I'm going to do in a row. And I'm going to open, I don't know, um, I'm going to open with something called Nella Fantasia. That was the theme song uh, of a movie called The Mission. And I first heard it with Yo-Yo Ma and, uh, oh, what the heck was his name? He just died. Um, hmm? No, I'm laughing because I can't help you here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, it's, uh, I have a fantasy of a, of a world of justice where everybody lives in peace and harmony and the souls fly free. So I'm going to open... Nella fantasia, io vedo in mondo giusto, li tutti vivono in pace in onestà. So that I will open him with. And then I sent Bonnie the list of my music, and I said just figure out, you know, what you and Russell, which order. I haven't gotten back from her yet. but So she'll be performing... Um, oh, we can't quite put our finger on it. It'll be wonderful. And if you've just tuned in, what yeah. in the world are you listening to? You're listening to Andy Peterson. We're talking about a uh, a wonderful benefit that's happening on Bef- uh, on behalf 5th of, of off- 5th of August 5th at 7 o'clock at the high school. In the at high the school high school. Auditorium, yeah. On behalf of Ukraine. Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Andy, here you are looking at me with your warm brown eyes and your bushy, salty pepper beard. That gets trimmed. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking about all the times you've come up to Moab in our time here at KZMU Studios. And you have had uh, quite a journey with your own voice. There are times when you've come up and you have had to sit like way back because you're blasting as if to the ends of the hall, right to the back of the house. Mm -hmm. I just want to remark that there is so much more um, care with the intimate space and the softness and the control of your vocal instrument since those days when you began? Well, I had a very good coach, 
And uh, if you know Maroon 5, are your Speedwagon, Alicia Keys, and the Commodores. I, I do know all those. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Brad Chapman. Oh. And he is the one that told me if I did this and this and this, and I, Wendy pulled out the notes that I had, she took during there. And for some reason, when I was studying with Brad, I wasn't doing this and this and this, and I found, oh, that's what he wanted me to do. And so basically, what I'm doing now is I'm trying not, I'm, I'm, I'm not singing, I'm speaking on pitch, I'm telling you a story. Uh-huh. I don't need to sing. Uh-huh. Now, when they train you to sing opera, you have a 5,000-seat auditorium with no microphones like in San Francisco. That has to be modified, um, especially when you're in a smaller room like this or when you're doing recording. Joe Lima, um, to me the best recording engineer in the world, records me. Ha. Only me. Hi, Joe. Yeah. And so I learned by listening to, well, I learned how to sing into a microphone and mm-hmm. make it sound, well, actually... Brad named his studio when he moved back to L.A. He named it Sing From Feel. Oh, but right. Well, speak and sing from feel. It's notable. It's yeah. notable. The intimacy and uh, Casey Mew audiences are, uh, those who have been listening a long time, I'm sure they'll agree that uh, you can really feel the tenderness, the closeness, um, the, the feel, the heart. Tell me a little bit about why you felt so moved to make this happen for what's happening uh, there in the Russian Peninsula? I don't know. It was last year um, I thought I very briefly considered going over there and fighting, but that probably... Oh, well, I, had, I, I got a lot of training uh, for Army Ranger. <laughs> I wanted to go to Vietnam and kill people. Why? You I did? Yes, uh, but I didn't. I didn't go. Uh-huh. They they found albumin in my urine, not not that it was a drug, but they thought they might have to retire me when I was 30, and now I'm 80, and so far I'm not retired. Are you 80? I'll be 80 in November. <clears throat> so I thought that won't work, but I went to Sand Chef, and I've opened for Sandy's and invited me to open Quicksand Soups a number of times. And he said, fine, yeah, that would be great, but we need to find somebody to donate the money to. That's why I had the four pages of paper. And I could not find anybody on there, so it all kind of got shifted around over the winter. And then finally, Nikki put me on to Erica and lifting hands, and so that's how it has happening uh, on August 5th. Okay, so once again, as if you were doing a straight-up piece uh, PSA, who, what, where, when? Okay, the high school auditorium on August 5th, which is a Saturday, at 7 p.m., there will be some high school kids doing a number from a show that they're going to do uh, this one. I think this general, fall. Th- this fall, okay. Bonnie Nielsen, with whom I have uh, sung before, she's coming up from Cedar City. I performed with her at the high school for uh, three or four times when we had those big events there. At, um, gosh, I guess the first part of March. Here, her son uh, Russell, who plays the violin. And he's got four CDs out, and then I will be singing everything from Brad to Johnny Mathis to Grand Opera. Okay, which Johnny Mathis? Are you singing Misty for us, or what is it? Uh- Chances are, cause I wear a silly grin, the moment you come into view. 
Chances are you think that I am in love with you. I could sing them all. I mean, that's where I started uh, singing Johnny Mathis, Twelfth and Ever, Misty, you name it. <laughs> okay. Oh, Andy Peters, wonderful to hear you sing tenderly and closely and with such feeling. Uh, appreciate you so deeply. And about this uh, theme of today, how wild that it all kind of braids together. We're talking about the creative and co-creative process <laughs> and how it takes many and how we're casting a hoop wide of care about just uh, being aware of what's happening beyond the own body, beyond the boundaries of countries. If you could say something to the people of both Russia and Ukraine, what would you say? Well, I have a master's in religion in addition to my advanced degree in chemistry. Jesus said love one another, and Buddha said true compassion for all living beings, and it's not always easy. I try to look upon the people with whom I do not agree politically try to love them anyway and I would say that that same thing it's um, hate doesn't get you anywhere mm. so mm. we've got to do our best and if 51% one day I'm a loving and 49% I'm not I'm winning <laughs> <laughs> we're not perfect uh, okay so if people want to get involved help out go to the thing where do they go uh, is there a number to call beforehand? Are you selling tickets just only at the door? Only, only at the, the door. I'm going to make, I'm, I think me, I'm going to try to get, well, I've got to figure out who's going to take the uh, money at the door. Okay, so if you've somebody, got... Uh, if somebody wants to call me, I'll give you my phone number. Okay, go ahead. It's 435-259-7934. 435-259-7934. Yeah. And... Let it go to voicemail because 90% of the calls that all of us are getting these days is somebody who's trying to scam us and wants money. Huh. So I, I guess you probably noticed that. But uh, I always let it go to voicemail, and if it's legitimate, then I pick it up. Okay. Okay. Thank you for your generous heart, Andy. Andy. What else do we want to say about the... Uh, the fundraiser, the benefit, the music, the creative process, your choice. Well, I think it's going to be um, a variation. Um, Bonnie is going to be singing this, what the heck is the name of them? Uh, this, they're Irish. Um, Anyway, it's the song is called Hymn to Hope, but she's going to be, the words are written also to uh, perhaps a prayer will do, so that's going to be probably her opening number. And she's going to be singing um, pretty much a variation on just uh, some of the stuff, same, some popular, some more, uh, I wouldn't say operatic, but more classical. So uh, Bonnie is a fabulous singer. Um, I really haven't heard that much of Russell because the last time I was through Cedar City, he was like a sophomore in high school. <laughs> so I've, I've heard him sing. So it, there should be something interesting in there for everybody. Das Vidanya, 
Thank you so much for caring and for bringing your voice with such tenderness. Andy Peters, August the 5th. 5th, 7 o'clock at the high school. At the high school. Thank you very much, Christy. Thank you for coming up. We are moving into the last 10 minutes of This Week in Moab. I'm your host today, Christy Williams-Stunton. And there was something that happened at the very end of 2022 and into 2023. After roughly four decades at the as the face and the leader of Planned Parenthood, Association of Utah, Carrie Galloway, retired. And uh, she happened to retire just as some very big changes were happening on the national front. Roe v. Wade was overturned right before she retired. And um, she talks about how that Roe could be struck down was always sort of hanging over her life. And it was a while before a new CEO was hired. Catherine Boyd is the new CEO of Planned Parenthood of Utah that was hired somewhere in the spring of this year and replacing Carrie Galloway after 40 years in that organization. Thanks to our long-term relationship with sister station KRCL in Salt Lake, we turn now to a interview with her on This Week in Moab, again, uh, the creative and co-creative, pro-creative process here on This Week in Moab. Catherine Boyd, the new CEO and president at the Planned Parenthood Association of Utah. So we're going to talk a little bit about the state of reproductive health rights one year after the Supreme Court decision on the Dobbs case. Catherine, welcome. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Could you remind our listeners of some of the services that Planned Parenthood of Utah um, offers in supporting women's health? I think it's a good refresher. Yes, absolutely. So we offer a wide range of reproductive health care for all people. So that includes wellness exams, breast exams, STI testing, HIV testing, um, birth control options. So we have IUDs and implants. We have long-term birth control options, depo, abortion care. We also provide vasectomies. Basically, if it's reproduct- reproductive health care related, we offer it. <laughs> that it. Who knew? Right. I had no idea about the vasectomies. Yeah. Could you share what your vision is given the current climate with the Roe v. Wade and ensuring the future of Planned Parenthood for girls and women and men? Absolutely. All people. people. (laughs) You know, I am committed first and foremost to ensuring access. Um, I will fight tooth and nail along with our partners at the ACLU and at PPFA, um, our attorney partners and our supporters to fight these bad bills. Um, As everyone's aware, you know, they're tied up in court challenges right now. But above and beyond just providing abortion care, it's expanding access to these other reproductive health services that I've already mentioned. I have a dream if I could rent an RV or buy an RV and paint it pink (laughs) and take it out on the road to all of these rural areas in Utah and provide people with birth control options, STI testing, education, like uh, that would be my dream. Um, But to come back down to reality, (laughs) 
we we have services that we can expand like telehealth opening up that service provision provides That's becoming so common absolutely now. i mean i saw it on amazon yeah even above and beyond like it became very popular during covid because people didn't want to go into a doctor's office but now it's it's here to stay so we have to also rise to that occasion to be able to offer people in rural utah the opportunity to have the same kind of visit with a healthcare provider at planned parenthood that someone in salt lake city does so that's that's a big part of my vision and my commitment we also you know i spoke about abortion care and legislators in <laughs> across the country since the fall of roe v wade more than a dozen states have either banned or severely restricted abortion access. Utah is one of the last red states standing. And that's interesting. Yes. That's saying something. It is. It is. Because look, I mean, in the South, there's literally no access except maybe in Georgia and Florida to six weeks. So people have to travel to, to get this care. And you know, lawmakers have just, they've made it so difficult and so challenging for people to access the care that they need. That's another part of the commitment that I'm making coming in as the CEO of Planned Parenthood is to continue to fight for all of the pregnant people that need to access abortion care. June 24th, 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs versus Jackson, which overturned the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, which I personally and very, I feel like naively thought was untouchable. Right. It was done. So a lot of people thought that. And it removed the federal constitutional barrier to, to state laws limiting or banning access to abortion. And I have to ask, do you remember when and where you were Absolutely. you heard this decision? Yeah, I was in my office in Atlanta. Um, anxiously awaiting. And I remember every day leading up to that, we would get messages like today's decision day, we might be on the docket. Today's decision day. And that went on for over a week where we would just kept expecting they were they were announcing these decisions. And I was following like the Supreme Court tracker so that when it would go live, you could see right away. And I remember seeing it pop up and reading through the decision and just my heart just breaking. Even though we had tried to prepare for it, there is no preparing for such a, a decision that holds such magnitude. I, how did you process that? When you heard this decision, how do you process, what do you do? How did you feel yeah. on a human level and then as a professional in the field? Yeah, uh, on a human level, I just really, how the heck did we get to this place? And uh, I also thought about all of the women on the Supreme Court that opted to choose to pull this back. I, I do have to say, though, you know, we had been preparing ever since the leak, you know, even before the leak, when we knew that it was going to go in front of the justices, they accepted the case. We all had to start kind of preparing for the worst case scenario. So even with all that prepping, even after the leak and the leak that you're talking about was the decision leak. It was unprecedented. You know, there was that little bit of hope that I had, that I held out and others held out, like maybe that'll change some folks' mind when they hear this uproar, and it didn't. Um, so even with all of that and leading up to it, and, and despite all of the mental and emotional calisthenics that you do to try to prep for this, nothing really prepares you for this new reality. It took time to even attempt to fully process what it meant for women and pregnant people across the country. I still don't think that I fully processed it. Looking at the landscape a year after um, Roe v. Wade, it's it's kind of dismal. More than a dozen states, as I mentioned, have severely restricted or outright banned abortion. 
it's um, heartbreaking to hear stories of people who have had to cross state lines for care, people who are already on the brink, who now have to facilitate obtaining abortion care in a foreign city or another state. Um, they have to find funding. They have to find travel. They have to figure out accommodations. They have to figure out childcare. All of that creates a scenario for a catastrophic implosion. I've heard this saying that, you know, most people that live paycheck to paycheck or even that have some money and savings are like one crisis away from catastrophe. And that's what this is. These people's li- these are people's lives that lawmakers are just callously and unnecessarily legislating. That's what it comes down to. And the fact is, is that abortions will continue. They're going to be performed regardless of what lawmakers try to control. They won't be safe and pregnant people will suffer and they will die. Banning healthcare professionals from providing this care is also going to drive out healthcare professionals. There are already studies that are showing that doctors in med schools and in residencies are not going to states where abortion care is now banned or severely limited because they want to be trained to provide this care. So it's a cascading Whoever series. would have thought. Exactly. That the dots connect that way. Yep. And that it does, like you said, it has that domino effect. Yep. Absolutely. And this is in your opinion. Why is women having full autonomy over their health, including their reproductive rights? Why is it so intimidating and frightening for our country and let alone our U.S. Supreme Court? It, it's very simple. This is about control. Lawmakers, people in power, those who do not think that women are capable of making the best decisions or even any decisions when it comes to their bodies and their health care are threatened by the thought of women having autonomy. Thanks again to Sister Station Care CL and also to the widest hoop possible, this big circular world that we are all a part of and for your listenership here at KZMU today. It's six o'clock. You're listening to KZMU, Moab.